Good morning, Bethany. It's great that you are here. My name is Pastor Anthony, and um, we are wrapping up our series called What is Truth? Because Lent starts next week, which I keep reminding Pastor Martin, that means Christmas is officially over. He needs to take down all his ornaments and all of that. Um, Actually, Cheryl still has snowflakes on her office window. We need to take care of that. You're like, yeah, it's her, it's her. Um, But yeah, we're wrapping up the series, and we started several weeks ago, and when we lay out our series, we planned all this back in June, and we, we pray about it, and we try to discern, we lay out texts of that we're going to be preaching on, but we really don't know how it's going to go until we begin preaching and teaching through it. Um, and when I first kind of looked at the outlines months ago, and then um, even a few weeks ago when we started this series, I was a bit intimidated. What is truth? Like, that's a huge, huge question to try to tackle um, in preaching, and and part of me was afraid of, like, this fearful idea of, like, oh, no, we have to, like, teach everyone and prove to everyone why Jesus is who he says he is. Or at least equip you to be able to prove why Jesus is who he says he is. And uh, really focusing on apologetics, defending the faith. And, um, and part of that we are doing in Sunday mornings in the, in the Bible Hour where we're working through the book Another Gospel. And Chris and Elizabeth are doing a fine job at diving deeper into that. But as we've been going through this, um, I really sense that that God's been using his word to kind of not point us in a different direction, but kind of a different angle from what I thought this series was going to be. We started a few weeks ago with the parable of the sower, and we looked at that passage, and really it's this teaching of Jesus's that his kingdom does not look successful according to the world's standards, that often it's going to look small. Often what we think should be successful fails, but that could be success in God's eyes. And for me, that just gave me comfort of knowing that actually um, it's a parable to just trust Jesus, that as we are faithful in response to what he's given us um, in all of our lives, he will use that for his glory. We looked at the weekend the confirmants were um, confirmed and, and the story of doubting Thomas and how actually in that story, Thomas doesn't doubt. He's actually full-on unbelief, does not believe. And then when he encounters the resurrected Jesus, he moves from death to life, from unbelief to belief. It reminds us that it's only the encounter, an encounter with the resurrected Christ that life can come, come about in faith. And then we looked at last week the story. Uh, we were talking about Jesus and how we are so, so often distracted and that Jesus pointed himself to the cross. And then as followers of Jesus, we can get so easily distracted by the good things that we try to do for Jesus that actually lose sight of Jesus himself. And, and there's comfort knowing that Jesus said when he would be lifted up on the cross that he would draw all men to himself. And as we've been working our way through here, I think we've done more, less and less of trying to prove why Jesus is who he says he is, and really getting at the heart of faith, what it means to follow Jesus. And I really feel like the question that God has been asking me as I've been preparing these sermons and and from what I've been hearing from people in the congregation is, is this question is, do we really know Jesus? Do we really know Jesus? And I don't mean, I'm not asking, I'm not asking your salvation into, to um, like, oh, am I really saved? But, but do you have a growing, maturing relationship with Jesus? 
I know facts about some of you, but I don't know you in the way I know my wife or my son or my best friend. I might know facts about you, but I don't have a deep, intimate, maturing relationship with you. And for many of us, especially in the West, we we love knowledge. We love learning about Jesus, which is good and has its place. But do we really know Jesus? Do we abide with him daily? Are we formed more and more into his image? In John 14, Jesus has these words. These are pretty famous of his. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I think often Christians, we take a verse like this and and we think that Christians have the corner market on truth. Where like, if it's not in the Bible, it's not true. Well, it's like the Bible doesn't teach you why two plus two is four or why the sky is blue or why smoking cigarettes is poor for your health. There's other truths out there. Anything good, true, and beautiful comes from the creator. But in this passage, Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That he's, he's pointing that all these Old Testament prophecies, all the things that the Jewish people are waiting for, he is the fulfillment of them all. He is the truth of what it means to be human, to be in right relationship with, with God and one another and ourselves even. Jesus is truth. That really all of the scriptures, my job is not here, and my job this morning is not trying to prove to you why Jesus who he is, who he says he is. Only he can do that. But my job is to point you to Jesus. And when we come to our Ephesians passage this morning, we see a pastor, Paul, doing the same thing to a group of people who he is trying to minister to from far away in prison. Now, when we we read the scriptures, we have to kind of put ourselves in their shoes and understand their worldview and how they understood things. And and this uh, passage is one really, 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 really long prayer. As Pastor Danner said, it's the longest uh, run-on sentence. It's actually the second longest because we'll get to it in a minute. But the first part of of John or Ephesians one is the longest sentence in the in the Greek, and then what we have this morning is the second longest, but it's only a few words less. But what was going on at that time, Paul was writing to these people in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city, it's modern day Turkey. These people that he's writing to are not Jewish. They did not grow up uh, in the Jewish faith. They had no idea of Torah or Yahweh or one true God. They grew up in this pagan uh, religion. And in the middle of their, uh, their city was the temple to Artemis, this, this goddess. And everything around the the life of the city went around this goddess. And to us, we can kind of think this is silly, like, oh, those silly old ancient people, every all these like the, the spiritual stuff around offering sacrifices to this goddess. And really, to read the Bible seriously, we have to realize that the writers of the Old and New Testament just assumed that there is a spiritual realm around us that you and I don't tap into a lot of the time. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, yeah, there's angels flying around cutting off demons' heads, like spiritual warfare. Yeah. It's like, no, the scriptures really don't paint that image. It's more of there are these forces that, that there is Jesus and his kingdom and the evil one Satan and Satan is doing anything he can to distract us from God's kingdom and in the ancient world there were things such as temples and false gods and you see that in other parts of the world in the west it's like called an iPhone and like your kids soccer schedule and our bank accounts and retirement plans like Satan can take those things and twist them to distract us from God's kingdom 
But Paul's writing to these people. You can read about this in Acts 19. These people who did not grow up um, in the Jewish faith then convert. Rather, they had heard the gospel, the good news of the resurrected Christ proclaimed in their city. And their hearts were moved. And they left the way of following the, the cult of Artemis. And they started following and pledging their allegiance to Jesus Christ as king. That they said, um, we're not going to live this way. We are now going to live this way. And this had huge consequences in the city because as people were, were pledging their allegiance to Jesus, they stopped buying the, the silver uh, idols that were made to go to sacrifice at the temple. And the, the tradespeople at the time started to get upset. And you read in Acts 19, there actually a riot broke out over this. These are the people that Paul are writing to, that Paul is writing to. And he's writing to them from prison. And he's writing to them because I could only assume that as they left this one way of living that everyone was okay with, now they're living this other way under a different king, under a different set of rules and way to be human. Life probably got more difficult for them. That they probably, because they were now pledging allegiance to Jesus they probably lost some social status. They probably started to suffer financially. There was probably divisions in the family and the social relationships. And Paul is writing to these people, and he's writing this letter, and he doesn't open up the letter with like, here's the three points why you should believe in Jesus and that you could use to convince all of your other pagan friends why Jesus is actually king. He starts with this prayer And it's a long prayer. It's a very, very long prayer. All Ephesians 1 is a prayer. In the first half of it, I'm going to summarize it for you. We're going to go through the whole book of Ephesians this summer. But Paul Paul is basically thanking God the Father that Jesus came, that he died for our sins, that he is king and he is sealed. Now as his people, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on. I'm going to read it for us again. He goes on, he he shifts his prayer and he begins by saying, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that You may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might. And he's going on that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in, the age, in this age, but also in the age to come. There shouldn't be a period there, but we had to break it somewhere in the English. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And Paul lays it out there as a prayer. The sermon you're hearing is Sermon 2.0. I, uh, I started last week, I kind of, okay, when I preached on, started thinking about it. And then uh, Tuesday morning was going to be my, my, my morning to write and prepare the teaching. And there's a lot 
in these eight or nine verses. It is dense. There is lots of beautiful theological things going on here. And I spent all day reading and writing. I read over a hundred pages on these eight or nine verses. And it had footnotes and quotes. And at the end of it, it was a beautiful term paper for a solid B plus in a seminary class. And I rarely spend a whole day on a, on a sermon. And at the end of the day, I shut my computer and I'm exhausted. My brain is fried and went home and um, laying in bed that night. I'm like, ah, I don't think this is like being faithful to the text in the sense of how Paul would want this proclaimed to a people. And I'm wrestling. I wake up Wednesday morning. I'm like, Lord, do I need to rewrite this whole thing? And he says, no, just simplify it. I'm like, okay, I can do that. We can simplify it. Paul is praying for a people who are faithfully following Jesus. And the first thing that sticks out in this prayer is he's giving thanks because the people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, he's giving thanks for their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. He didn't say, Lord, I just thank you that these people just kind of read books about you. And you know what? I'm just so thankful that they are known for their kids program and great worship services and big, beautiful building and all the things they do. No. Because I'm thankful for the faith you have in Jesus Christ and that you love one another. Imagine that. Imagine if the church was known for our radical, obedient faith in Jesus Christ and our radical, sacrificial love for one another. Sadly, I don't think that's what most churches are known for or the church. I believe it's possible because we saw this played out thousands of years ago. Paul didn't say, I'm so thankful that you can defend every single doctrinal statement, and that's good and important, but but what if the best apologetic, the best defense you and I can ever give to the resurrected Jesus is the quality and character of our lives? That you, when people see the way you In your family, our community live, they go, something is different and it's causing me to ask questions. As the economy continues to to tumble, as another election is going to be here, that's going to be fun. Can't wait for that. All of these things, and they see us being a non-anxious presence in the world, they might go, "What, what do you have that I don't? The quality and character of our lives. And then Paul goes on, he just starts going, like he's preaching in his prayer. He starts saying weird things. I pray that you continue to grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of him as you're, you're these people living in, in your land, but you're no longer under the rule and reign of the, the way it used to be. I pray that you know Jesus. And then he goes on that your heart, the eyes of your hearts are enlightened. Scholars, like Paul made that phrase up, like they can't find it anywhere else. Early church fathers kind of allude, they think he's alluding to what happened in their baptism. That they, are, they came to faith and, and in their baptism, Christ opened their hearts to the grace and faith he has in them. 
He goes on saying that you hold to the hope that you've heard of, that, you know what, life here might be awful and really hard. Now, I don't know how it's going to turn out this side of eternity, but hold on, church, because Jesus is returning to make all things new. All things new. And then he starts talking about this power, that, that we have this power in us. And what is this power? It's the power that raised Jesus from the grave. And now Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's ruling. And he's reigning over all power and authority. And they would have heard, oh, he's even reigning and ruling over Rome and Artemis. And, and that now he is the one true Lord. And that, that all things, that Jesus is now the head of the church But we are now the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul doesn't start with a bunch of reasons to defend the faith. He starts with praying that they may know Jesus. That's my summation of the prayer. He's saying, Father, I pray that they continue to know Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to remain in Jesus. And I wonder for the life of Bethany, if that's what he's been asking us through this whole series, what is truth? The truth is Jesus. And is Jesus enough? Do we really believe that he is enough? Now, Paul, he goes on and expands upon this in his letter. What does it mean to work out faith living in a new community of, of believers? And we'll go through that this summer. And that's all important, but he doesn't start there. He starts with, do you know Jesus? I pray you continue to know him. And I just have this sense that more and more, it was so interesting. After last week's teaching and uh, Pastor Martin's uh, Monday devotional went out. We both started getting like lots of emails, like from people, like good ones. Thank you. They were nice emails because <laughs> um, we don't get those all the time. And, but they were actually like, man, thank you for the the, the sermon or or the devotional. Just this the sense of like, man, maybe we just need to learn to be still as a church and breathe. Like, how fresh was it when Martin came up here and just created time for us just to breathe for a second <laughs> and be still? Amongst all the noise. And just be with Jesus. Be with one another as we're being with Jesus. But what I'm not saying is that we just become a church where a holy huddle. It's just us and our Bibles huddled around like, ah, it's us us against the world. Because that's not actually how Paul ends the prayer. Because he ends the prayer with that the church is now his body. We are the representation to the world. That we are filled with the power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us and he is sending us out. Being with Jesus, the natural outflow is mission. The natural outflow is sharing it with the world. This isn't a critique of Bethany, but I just found it very interesting. I've never been part of a church when we have church events where people ask, Pastor, is it okay if I invite my friends who don't go to Bethany? Bethany. Yes, of course, please and thank you. Like, my, my biggest hope is, Pastor, I've invited people in my life for the last 
month, week, year, decade, and they're starting to see Jesus around our dinner table, and now they want to come to worship, and I'm bringing them. Cool. Like, it's just a natural outflow of our lives as people are attracted to the gospel as we invite them into our lives and they see Jesus. That the natural outflow is as we as a community learn to abide with Jesus, our heart will begin to break for the things that break Jesus' heart. As you abide with Jesus, you will start spending his money how he wants you to. As you abide with Jesus, you'll steward your sexuality how he says you should, not how the culture says. As you abide with Jesus in the upcoming election, you'll be able to say, here are kingdom principles and here's the kingdom of the world. (laughs) Jesus, please, Jesus, help me discern. (laughs) It all starts with abiding in Jesus. So what does that mean for Bethany starting now? I don't know yet. But what if it's just a season of learning to abide and be still and and trust that he'll actually lead us to where he wants us to go? What if for you waking up in the morning, it's it's not feeling guilty if you did read or didn't read your Bible or, or came to church this week or whatever it is that are all good, beautiful practices. But we just woke up each morning and say, Jesus, help me know you more and help me follow you today. And then go about your day. And trust that he'll open the eyes of your heart to know him and to see him, to discern, to have knowledge of him. What is truth? The truth is Jesus. And it all starts with knowing Jesus. The quality and the character of our lives only forms into his image as we spend time with him. So that's my prayer and hope above all for myself, for my family, for our church families, that we just learn what it means to know Jesus in deep and intimate ways. So as we wrap up, I want to pray one more prayer of Paul over us. I invite you to close your eyes and take a few breaths in. If you're joining us online, same thing. Close your eyes wherever you're at. Take a couple breaths in and out. And this is Paul's prayer at the end of chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.